The Athletic. Lauren Hill. So difficult to stop. Oh! And then we'll go to Hada. And then Kampen there. in Hada. Miedema. Miedema van de Donk is mee. Miedema! Goal, 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 goal. Hello and welcome to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast Euros edition. Coming up, France turn up the heat, whilst Belgium and Iceland watch their chances melt away. And the Lionesses warm up ahead of their clash with Norway. Well, it's Kelly Summers here and joining me today from the Athletic is Charlotte Harper. Hello, Charlotte. Hiya, Kelly. And from a press box in Rotherham, we're also joined by Michael Cox. Michael, what an evening you've had. Yeah, that was eventful. I mean, only really half a game to cover there. The second half, not too much happened. But uh, yeah, it was remarkable. We're sitting right in front of it and you could just see the Italian heads go down, really. It was almost difficult to watch at some points. But um, yeah, I I thought it was more France being fantastic than Italy being dreadful, I must say. It was just a a brilliant performance to watch. Yeah, we'll dissect that game in a little bit more detail in just a few moments. Now, normally, Michael, if we were speaking to you late at night from outside in Yorkshire, we'd be a little bit worried about you and probably be asking, have you got enough layers on? But given the weather we've got over here in the UK at the moment, I actually need to check that both of you have got some water on board. We will be offering some cooling breaks to you in this podcast. So hopefully you'll be able to get through this podcast a little bit easier than maybe some of the players did, Charlotte, because I didn't envy them having to play in those temperatures today. Yeah, I'm ready for my ice bath, Kelly. I don't know about you. (laughs) That's exactly what we all need, actually, isn't it? Michael, you actually found out a little bit about the cooling breaks. There's a reading taken, isn't there, pre-match, with the forecast in mind. And the referee then decides whether to allow for cooling breaks or not. That's the same as in any football tournament. Did we have them in today's games? No, we didn't. Haven't had them so far. I think we should be fine for the eight o'clock kickoffs. Temperatures usually cooled a little bit. Obviously, 5pm, maybe a little bit more, more touch and go. But there's only two games each day. I mean, if there was three each day and we had one, presumably at 2pm, I think that'd be a real issue. But yeah, I mean, it is it is really warm. I mean, yeah, 8pm kickoff here. I think I'll probably be at the ground till about 11, 12 and I haven't even bought a jumper. It's so, ha- uh, so warm. Yeah, a novel experience being in Yorkshire. <laughs> well, the main reason I also had to check that you were well hydrated was because you're on quite the run of games at the moment, aren't you? I think this was your third game in as many days. How long is this run going on for? I think I'm up to five. Yeah, down in Brighton for England tomorrow and then Brentford for Spain, Germany on Tuesday night. I mean, it's been really good. All the games I've been at, the atmosphere has been really good. You know, the, the crowds are varied, but I think all of them, the atmosphere has been good. The level of football has been good as well. We've, we've now seen all 16 teams. I think that would be my main takeaway. Just the level of football so much, if we're being honest, so much better than five years ago. It's a real, real high level of football. And this, of course, was the, the best performance. Yeah, and that's a really important thing to point out because as much as it's great to celebrate the crowds and the fact that so many more people are talking about this tournament, we also need to talk about the fact that the football has been so much better as well. Well, on the day that England felt like the south of France, it was actually Le Bleu who stole the show. It's taken away from them again and here's Gioro. Overlapping run, Teleti. Finds Gioro, oh, it's a hat-trick! What a moment for Grace Gioro. A hat-trick in the first half. France have five. 
Well, France turned up and some as they smashed five past Italy in the first half to really set a marker for the tournament in Sunday's late game. Italy scored in the second half to make it 5-1, but it really was all about the French on Sunday night. Now, Michael, as we've just been saying, you watched this game live. Was it as impressive in real life as it looked to all of us watching at home on TV? Yeah, it was. They were brilliant. France were brilliant. And uh, I think the fun thing is we could have predicted how they would be good. I mean, down the flanks, just on paper, they've got such quality. But we wouldn't have expected to be this dominant. But, I mean, they were just so good. I mean, Cascarino down the left was, was you know, going down the outside and, and causing problems, then coming inside and scoring that great goal. Down the near side, or the near side for me, uh, Diani, her quick feet was just really difficult for uh, for. Uh, Boatin, the Italian left back to live with and it did just seem to be their game plan I mean Renard was sweeping diagonals out to the flanks um, Katoto obviously you know maybe the best striker in this tournament but I thought really what she did well was coming deep and, and again playing the ball out to the flanks and yeah those two wingers were just fantastic and um, and they only really played for 45 minutes I mean it was one of those where the, the full-time scoreline didn't really matter I think France switched off you know this is it's a short tournament with lots of games and they were just saving their legs but I mean 5-0 wasn't really an unfair reflection of their dominance in the first half. Yeah both sides had chances in the opening minutes but it did only take nine minutes for France to carve Italy open and from then Italy really fell apart didn't they Charlotte? They did and we said it before Bonancea with that huge chance in the opening minutes and France were efficient, ruthless, took their chances and were a delight to watch. And I think, shout out to Grasqueoro. She's a PSG captain who's had a lot of issues off the pitch and a kind of emotional weight as well, having to deal with that as the leader of that club team and just seem to be thriving in this French side. Our very own Kate Borsay also tips. We've got to say this. I know she's not here tonight. We've got to say this. Marie Antoinette Katoto for the Golden Boot. She got in on the action as well on 12 minutes. It shows that maybe, just maybe, Kate knew what she was talking about. 26 goals in 31 appearances now for France, Michael. Yeah, I mean, the mad thing is you'd probably be disappointed she only scored one. I mean, if France had scored five by half time, you'd probably guess Katoto would have got two or three. But I mean, yeah, she's a brilliant penalty box striker. But I was impressed really with, with what she did coming, you know, coming towards the play. A little bit like how we talk about um, Miedemar, you know, the best goal scorer in, in English football, one of them, but also brilliant with her link play. I think she showed that, that side of her game tonight as well. There were so many impressive performances from the French side that we could pick out, but we've got to talk about Gayoro, haven't we, Charlotte? A hat-trick, the first ever player in the tournament's history to get a first-half hat-trick. What a night for her. Brilliant occasion for her. She was really smart in her play, in her positioning. Uh, that finish for the third, I think it was, lightning quick to react. And she's a leader on and off the pitch, and we know Renard has the armband, but... You can't underestimate her experience as well. Yeah, and that's maybe what tonight showed, isn't it? When we're talking about some of the favourites for the tournament, Michael, the options that France have going forward. We've talked about it a lot with England, haven't we? The versatility they have in attack, the number of attacking players they've got. We saw tonight the French side also have that strength and depth. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, maybe 
we've become so accustomed to this now we shouldn't talk about it as a novelty but the five subs thing I mean being able to change half your outfield team and especially as you mentioned earlier the temperatures I think the players are going to tire you know relatively quickly and maybe towards the end of the tournament there'll be fatigue as well and yeah there's, there's a few teams that have good strength and depth Germany I think showed that as well with the subs they brought in uh, brought on but yeah France have great reserves uh, I gotta say maybe there's an element of bias but I do think England are really up there in terms of just being able to bring in backups that are almost as good as, you know, the first teamers. Um, but yeah, I think the strength and depth will be crucial, certainly later in the tournament. Yeah, it does feel like the top teams are going to need to be able to do that to change things from the bench as well. It'll be interesting. We'll come on to England later. It'll be interesting to see what Serena Vigman's going to do in terms of changing things for England on Monday night. Who else stood out for you in that French performance, Charlotte? Because I'm told it wasn't just the attacking side that you were impressed with. No, Kashaoui, who um, played as the fullback on the left-hand side, PSG player. I think she was brilliant on the overlap, uh, especially in the first half, um, really isolating Italy's centre-backs. And that was France's play to get the ball out wide and hit them with that pace. She played herself a bit into trouble in the second half, I thought, just overplaying slightly unnecessarily. Um, but definitely one to watch as, as the tournament goes on. Well, you said that France took their foot off the gas, potentially in that second half, Michael. But we also saw the big talking point was the rescinded red card. Pretty controversial. What did you make of it? Because, of course, it went to VAR. And I saw on social media, a lot of people were quite surprised it was rescinded. Yeah, it was one of those where I kind of disagreed with both parts of it. In full time, (laughs) I didn't think it was a red card. And then when I saw the replay, I was like, well, that's probably not. It's probably not enough to overturn it, and it was overturned. So I was quite confused by the whole thing, to be honest. I was kind of pleased it wasn't a red card because I thought there was a danger France would kind of pile on the goals and make it six or seven. And actually, credit to Italy, they did show some some heart and some fight and got back in it. But yeah, it was a, it was a strange incident, that. I think it looked high and late in real time. But then the VAR would have looked at, you know, the angle of the foot, the level of contact, the point of contact and her position of the leg. So... I've seen, as you, Kelly, some people say it should have been overturned. Some people say it shouldn't have been. But and again, a good example of VAR in use and how it's being implemented in the tournament. Yeah, it's incidents like that where you feel so grateful that we do have it in this tournament because, of course, had we not, then it would have potentially well, it would have changed the game, wouldn't it? Let's talk about the consolation goal that Italy did get on the 77th minute. It was a really good header, actually, but... It didn't really mean much by then, although potentially for Italy, that'll give them a little bit of hope to show that they did have a bit of a fight back going into their next game, Michael. Yeah, definitely. And the goal didn't come by chance. It came because they showed a surprising level of ambition considering they'd conceded five. I mean, it, it came from uh, Boatin, the left back, just suddenly overlapping, which, I mean, I'm not sure I'd do if I'd conceded five goals and I was being <laughs> torn apart by Diani, but she did show that ambition to get forward and swing in across. And yeah, they... To be honest, I was relatively impressed by Italy and, and their attitude in the in the second half. I think they could have gone into complete damage limitation mode, but it was almost like, you know, I don't know whether you guys have, have played in like matches when you're a kid or anything and you're 4-0 down or 5-0 half time and your manager or captain be like, right, just forget about it. Let's just go and win the second half. And, and that's what Italy did. They won the second half 1-0. And I know they were outplayed, I mean, completely outplayed here, but... You'd probably still say they were favourites to follow France out of the group. I mean, they're, they're a good side with good players. I think they came across France on a really good day. Um, so, yeah, hopefully they won't be too 
uh, shell-shocked by this because that was, I mean, that would have been a difficult first half to take. But uh, yeah, I think they showed they're a decent side in the second half. I was going to say, I guess the danger for them, as you said there, was for the game to get really embarrassing for the Italians. Where do you think this leaves them after that game, Charlotte? And I guess the impact that this could have on their remaining group games. The hardest team to face is those who have just come off a, a real beating. So I think they'll be coming out of the blocks and, and learning from those mistakes and analysing the game uh, when they're coming up against Belgium and Iceland. Also think about goal difference, minus five, if that comes down to it, of the two teams that go through. And I think Italy showed in the second half what they're about. And France, they would have, I think, in their team talk said, right, let's hit them hard, first 20 minutes, really go at them. I still think Italy have got a shot to, to make the knockouts. Well, before we do move on, the athletic football team are always everywhere. And Charlotte, you are one of those people. I'm told you actually met the Reynolds family in the week in Doncaster. So do tell us about that. Yeah, keep an eye out on the athletic site. They're doing a big feature piece on Renard. She's got an amazing story. Born in Martinique. Father passed away when she was eight. Gone on a flight uh, to Paris when she was 15 by herself. So uh, her whole family have come over. Her, um, her mum's flown over from Martinique, Marie, Elena, the aunt are there, the uncle are there, children are there, um, and they haven't seen her play since the 2019 World Cup. So they're, they're really excited uh, to watch her play. Um, and yeah, just got to pull that all together now. But it was a, a, a real privilege to meet them. And I'm sure after watching tonight's game, they'll be even more excited to watch her for the rest of the tournament as well. Well, that was France's thrashing over Italy, but kicking off the day in Manchester were Belgium and Iceland. We're going to talk about that next. You're listening to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast, Euro Edition. Well, Belgium and Iceland began their Euro journeys with a draw. There at the game was journalist for NBL.is Sport in Iceland. It's Bjarni Helgeson who caught up with producer Abby earlier today and they began by discussing the mood in camp. They are really disappointed with the results. They, they feel they pretty much lost the game more than they just got a point on the road. So they... Uh, we're very disappointed, but I think they will just uh, think it off very fast because there's a game coming up next Thursday. Yeah, exactly. You've got to forget quickly and, and move it on. Uh, it felt like Iceland, yeah, guess didn't take advantage of their chances. And I mean, starting off with that penalty miss from Torvalds dot here, but she obviously came back and scored the opener. This goal was a bit special for her. Can you tell me why? Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, like you said, she, she missed the penalty earlier in the game. It's, it's funny because Iceland has been having trouble scoring from penalties uh, in the last games. I mean, funny story, her mother is actually 60 years old today. So all, all the Icelandic fans sang, sang her, her birthday song in the, in the fan zone today. So she probably really wanted to score that goal from the penalty. So, I mean, coming back in the second half and just scoring Iceland's only goal, is, it shows a big character. Yeah. Nice to score and give your mum that present, isn't it? What positives are you taking from this game ahead of you know two really tough games against France and Italy still to come in this in this uh, group stage? I mean, I think the biggest positivity in the in the game is that a lot of players playing their first match in a big tournament. 
So it's like for them to come this strong into the game. I mean, like Svinti, she had no fear at all. Karolina was causing problems all over the field. Burum was very solid defensively. Sandra had a great game. I mean, great contender for the man of the match for me. So that's definitely very positive. And also not scoring from a penalty, but not breaking down. Like they would have done five years ago. They actually just came back into the second half, scored an early goal. And for me, it should have won the match. Definitely. They had that chance right at the very end, kind of in the last minute of injury time as well, where you felt that Iceland could have just grabbed all three points at the end there. Talking about the stadium, obviously, Gunnar Stottir hit headlines for saying that Euros the UK, FA haven't chosen great stadiums. What was the atmosphere like at, uh, in Manchester today? How did you find it? The atmosphere was uh, just amazing. It's uh, the best atmosphere that I have experienced at a women's game in a big tournament. Definitely bigger or better than in Netherlands five years ago, and that was great. But this was something else. I felt something in the air. Maybe it's because we have such a great team now. We have all the great players playing in great teams, and people have like a lot of faith in the team. So it was uh, kind of emotional to see all these fans get behind the girls and, and support them the whole time. Do you know how many fans have travelled over from, from the country to support? A little bit more than 2,000 fans today at the game. And I think we could have more fans on the Italy game and we will definitely have more on the French game. But all the tickets were gone for the game. I mean, everything was sold out. But 2,000 people, more or less. So that's great. Very good. Yeah, it's really good. And um, I hear there's a, a sort of an extra special fan as well. The um, Prime Minister has come over, has she not? Yeah, the Prime Minister came. She's actually the only minister that came. But we have the, uh, the Minister of... Uh, well, she was the Minister of Sports and, and and the schools and stuff. She's coming over also on Thursday or Wednesday. She's coming. So she will be at the game on Thursday. That's really good to have like just, yeah, that's the highest level of support basically coming to uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. coming to support. Coming up, the, the, the draw didn't perhaps do you any favours with wanting to try and get out the group stage. As we speak at the moment, France are 5-0 up against Italy. How do you rate right now in this moment Iceland's chance of getting out the group stage? It's, it's hard to say, really. The, all we need to do is, in my opinion, we need to win against Italy. That's like the key match. And it always was the key match in the group before, before the game against Belgium, in my opinion. If we win against Italy, we will go through, assuming that we didn't, didn't lose the game against Belgium. So one point against Belgium is okay. But if we win against Italy, we have a great chance. And I think we will go through. Well, that was Bjarni Helgeson there on the road, back to crew, speaking to producer Abby. So, Michael, Charlotte, can you see either of Belgium or Iceland causing an upset and getting something from their final two games against France and Italy? Michael, having watched France demolish Italy tonight, what do you think? I would be surprised. Well, I'd be very surprised if, if France didn't top the group. And yeah, I, I still think I'd favour Italy to get out of it because they just can't really see Belgium or Iceland getting much out of France. So yeah, I, I'd still have Italy in pole position for second place, despite being bottom of the group and despite seeing a, a pretty wretched performance. Um, I just think they have got enough ab- about them. I think the players they've got they weren't really suited to this challenge. I mean, someone like Giuliano, the deep midfielder, who's just a brilliant passer, but I mean, quite lightweight and not very good when players are going past her. When Italy control possession of the game, I think she she's the kind of player that can light up the tournament. Um, so yeah, I'd still back Italy to finish second at this point. 
Yeah, Charlotte, as much as we said before, the impact that having such a heavy defeat could have on Italy, you do wonder if Belgium or Iceland watching that game this evening will think potentially there's a door open for them or do you agree with Michael that they are just going to be too strong? There's definitely openings. Belgium and Iceland will see the weaknesses that France exploited and and tried to do the same. We saw England play Belgium in their pre-tournament friendlies, but I'd agree with Michael still backing Italy to go through. Uh, I just think that minus five, it could come down to the wire, Um, (laughs) but we'll see. Yes, we will indeed. Next up in Group D, it'll be Iceland versus Italy and France versus Belgium on Thursday. Well, that is Sunday's swelterers dealt with. Up next, we're talking about the big one, England versus Norway. You're listening to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast, Euros Edition with Kate Borsay. Well, it's the one we've all been waiting for pretty much since the groups were decided as on Monday nights in Brighton, England take on Norway and what we all expect to be the group decider. Now, Michael, the first question, we've talked about the squads that have the biggest depth, potentially going the furthest and doing really well in this tournament. So you expect to see Serena Wiegmann make too many changes on Monday? I think she'll make at least a couple. For me, there's two areas that were question marks going into the first game. And I'd say have remained question marks because I'm not sure the players who played necessarily did enough to keep their place. One would be left back. I think Rachel Daly kind of made sense for that particular game. Um, But against a very good Norway side, I wonder whether they'll bring in someone who's a bit more of a natural defender. You have to think it'd probably be Alex Greenwood, who I know plays more at centre-back these days, but can obviously do a job at left back. And the other question mark is up front. I mean, I think Ellen, Ellen White made very good runs um, in the opener, but, but just didn't finish the chances. And I think it really depends what they want to do against Norway because, I mean, you look at Norway's defence. They're good players, but they're not, not really natural defenders. I mean, the, the centre-back partnership of Thoris Dottir and Mielder, I mean, I obviously know them from the WSL and they're full-backs, really. So, I mean, it depends what you want to attack them with. Do you want the pace of Beth England? Do you want the aerial threat of White? Or do you want someone like... Um, Alessia Russo who's going to come short and link play I, I think you can choose any option um, so I don't think she'll make changes for the sake of it in terms of fitness because I think she'll hope that England are in a position to do that in the final group game against Northern Ireland which I think is the weakest or the easiest group game on paper so yeah I think it's just about tactical decision making here Which way do you expect her to go with those decisions Charlotte? Wiegmann when she was managing in Euro 2017 with the Netherlands always kept quite a core group I expect her to still have Brighton Williamson as centre-back. Personally, I'd like to see Alex Greenwood uh, as left-back. And I think um, regarding the wingers, I think they're so interchangeable and they can have an impact off the bench, whether it's Mead or Hemp or Chloe Kelly. Up top, we know how instrumental White is in our press and she instigates that really well. Russo deserves minutes because of the performances she has but and I I wouldn't want to be Serena Wiegmann at this stage it's a good problem to have <laughs> yeah it certainly is and we've seen the way in the warm-up games in particular that bench whoever she starts that bench can change games that's what's so useful to her and will be during this tournament I've also got to say at this point because producer Abby will really have a go at me if we don't we've somehow got to get in here hemp on the left mead on the right ellen up front and millie looking bright she's also <laughs> putting the script here something about brights on in brighton in case you haven't heard and you're listening to this podcast and you think i've gone do lally producer abby is trying to get a song that she wrote of her own accord about the england players she's trying to get it to go viral she's trying to get a record deal for it 
it hasn't happened as of yet. So if you're listening, maybe follow producer Abby on Twitter and give some support. Um, anyway, I've got it in now. So let's move on and talk a little bit about Norway. The big challenge for Serena Wiegmann and our coaching team will be getting a plan to stop Hansen, Hegerberg and Blackstad. That's the problem that she's got to kind of solve, isn't it, Michael? Yeah, it is. And it's, it'll probably be a big test of Leah Williamson, who um, might well be the best centre-back in the tournament with the ball at her feet, playing forward passes into wide areas or between the lines. But, I mean, a few times over the last couple of years when she has come up against a really good centre-back, actually, I remember Katoto giving her a real difficult game in uh, in a Champions League game a couple of years ago. When she comes up against a real proper number nine, I, I just don't quite think she has the stature or the natural defensive qualities to really get the better of individual battles and, and Hegerberg can be really difficult to play against. So I think they'll probably be trying pos- uh, try and be positive, try and play high up the pitch, try and keep them away from the penalty box. But I thought maybe England's best player in the first game was Millie Bright. I think she was just really good in the air, mm. won everything in the box and I think she'll probably need to play quite well again against Hegerberg to keep her quiet. You mentioned there about Leah Williamson. It's the constant debate, isn't it, amongst England fans of whether she could play in central defence or in that central midfield role. We've seen Serena Wiegmann in some of the big games move her into central midfield. Would this be the kind of right game to do that? Because I've also seen, Charlotte, people saying, why would you make such a big change in a tournament when, as you alluded to before, Wiegmann doesn't like making these big changes. She likes sticking to a core team, pretty much. Leah Williamson... Grew up, you know, as an Arsenal midfielder and, and in the England youth set up as a midfielder. So she is used to that position. But Wiegmann started her against Switzerland in defence and then against uh, Austria in the opener in defence. So I, she, that's a more comfortable position. She said it herself. She plays in week in, week out for Arsenal at centre-back, even at right centre-back. And here she's playing left centre-back. And I just think it's she's got the whole pitch in front of her. You know, use that passing ability, uh, use that talent to break lines and di- take the play. Uh, so I see her as, as a defender for England. As good as Norway have been as well, we should talk about their defence because it has been pretty leaky, which could present openings, Michael, for England. But as we saw in that opening day game against Austria, they've been quite wasteful in front of goal. So Wigman will want better performances, particularly in the final third, won't she? Yeah, I agree. I think the I think the wasteful finishing is a funny thing. It's almost like the best problem you can have attacking <laughs> because, you know, it's the final thing. That I think they did most things pretty well the other night. I think the wingers were really good. I know Kirby wasn't overwhelmingly involved, but I thought she made really good runs and played the final pass. But yeah, it's, it is just about the finish. Um, I think Ellen might be disappointed with particularly one-headed effort because it's one of those things if you score a goal as a striker I think you're very difficult to leave out for the next game but because there's other options I mean I, I actually thought Russo would start that game so I yeah, wonder whether she did, will yeah I wonder yeah. whether she'll get a chance here and also I mean maybe this isn't that necessary at this point but why it's such a good plan B you know it, it's it's almost like she's so she's so tempting to kind of have him reserve and then if you desperately need a goal you can throw it into the box and bring her on rather than playing that way from the outset so I wonder whether Rousseau will get a goal I thought she was really really good in that friendly against uh, Switzerland and yeah she scored a goal in that game as well so I think she probably does just about merit a start here What about the atmosphere Charlotte the stadium is sold out how much do you think that fan noise will impact the team I heard earlier that they only think around 1,000 of the supporters that are going to be inside the Amex will be from Norway so that is a really heavy England contingent inside that stadium It's huge 
I mean, having that support behind you, it'll give them a big, big boost. Um, slight difficulty of hearing each other on the pitch, as we discussed <laughs> in the in the last podcast. But you've got to flip that as well. If, and I wouldn't want this to happen, of course, if England go one or two goals down, how are the crowd going to react? Are they going to get a bit cagey and nervous? So I, I think it's uh, a blessing and a curse at times with that expectation of being a home nation and hosting the tournament. Yeah, that'll be interesting if that does happen to England during this tournament, because under Serena Wiegmann as well, it's just not been something that we've seen England do, concede goals or go behind. Well, here to tell us about the mood in the England camp, it's our very own Lindsay Hooper, who's left us this voice note. Serena Wiegmann and Millie Bright spoke to press today. Interestingly, Millie's got this connection with Guru Raiten and Marin Melder for Norway, playing together at club level at Chelsea. So, of course, we wanted to know what she thought about that and their qualities. Um, she said, obviously, we know Guru has a wand of a left foot. I think everyone knows the technical ability of Marin. She's very composed and experienced, and it's really nice to see her back on the pitch. Uh, those were thoughts that were echoed by Frank Kirby, who I spoke to earlier this week as well who said that Marin had admitted she didn't even know whether she'd make the Euro, let alone captain her nation. So that's testament to her. Um, thinking about the, the growth of WSL and the amount of international players now that the Lionesses play with, play against, um, and whether that has any bearing. Uh, Millie played that down. She said, look, I think regardless of whether you know the player or not, you do your research, you do your analysis. So for me, I prepare in the same way, whether I know the player or I don't know the player. And Serena Wiegmann was um, talking about the comparisons between preparing for the game against Austria and doing this one for, for Norway. And she said, I don't think we do lots of things differently. We had a great match against Austria, but it wasn't easy. We wanted to play our game. I think Norway will be even tougher than last year. And uh, she was referring to that World Cup qualifier where England won in that one. Um, Austria were a tough opponent. Norway too. We know them well. They know us well. She said it's going to be a very competitive game. Um, she also signalled that she thought it would be attack versus attack and that the fans in the stands would be in for a treat. Yeah, I think that will be a real treat. Thanks, Lindsay, for taking time out of her hectic schedule to send us that in. And Charlotte, very quickly, before we move on to Northern Ireland, it's not just the England pros in action tomorrow, is it? I hear you're also partaking in some football down on the South Coast yourself. It is. It's the big one. England media against Norway media. Apparently, though, they've got over a, a player who's had over 100 caps for Norway and they're retired, so... Um, there are questions about the sporting director's tenure because our recruitment has been <laughs> poor. So um, all our co-coms, um, BBC TV pundits, uh, if you're listening to this and you want a game at 1pm, then um, you know where to find us down in Brighton. Yeah, you need, to, you need to find Alex Scott, Farrell Williams and co, don't you? Get them involved. Whatever happens, just... Channel your inner Italy. If you go behind, channel your it inner Italy. Don't give up. Make some changes and stay in the game for the second half. Kelly, anyway. you should be our manager. You, you've got the job. Mm, I'm not sure about that. You need <laughs> Farrell Williams, you need Alex Scott, and you need a far better manager than me. That's for sure. Anyway, the early kickoff sees Austria and Northern Ireland face off in Southampton. Both sides are looking for their first wins. Northern Ireland can take hope from their goal against Norway. But Charlotte, can you see the Green and White Army causing an upset in this one? It'll be a tight one. Um, why not? I think, you know, Austria were really compact, um, defended 
pretty well against England, although they didn't create a lot of chances. Um, they were obstructive and pressed England well. I know England was slightly cagey, but Northern Ireland have got nothing to lose. What an occasion. It's a free hit for them. Go out and enjoy it. Yeah, go out and enjoy it. But as they've been saying as well, go out and enjoy it. But they, they want to be competitive. They'll have to get past a very organised Austrian defence, as Charlotte said then, Michael. But what about Austria's attack? What impressed you from their game against England? What do you think their main threats are? They looked all right on the counter-attack. I think they struggled to create clear-cut chances, really. But it'll be interesting to see how they play because I think they'll probably dominate possession. Um, against Northern Ireland, I think it'd be quite a difficult, uh, sorry, quite a different challenge for Austria. But you kind of think they they do need to win this game because um, they'll be up against Norway in the final group game. So, yeah, I'd, uh, on the basis of the first round games, I'd be fairly confident of um, of an Austria victory. To be honest. Before we wrap up the podcast, something that we really didn't want to have to be talking about, but Kate Borsay's big prediction for the tournament was that we could lose some key players from the tournament due to COVID. We've seen it with Lottie Wibber-Moy for England and most recently Jackie Gronin for the Netherlands. Are you a bit concerned that this prediction, Charlotte, could be coming true because big players are starting to be missing from big games? I think it just showed the fragility um, around the unavailability of a player as soon as they pick up COVID and obviously the fear of any further cases. Um, so, yeah, it's always in the back of your mind. Obviously, you don't want it to happen to your team, but I do uh, expect more. And it will be those teams that have that uh, depth and, and can adapt to those situations. Yeah, it's also a reflection of society at the moment, unfortunately, isn't it, with COVID rates increasing. Well, that's all we have time for on today's Athletic Women's Football Podcast. Thank you to Michael for staying around in Rotherham. The good news, Michael, is I think you can get home now if you've got more copy to file. No, I think I've done that as long as I get the training time. I mean, it's absolutely classic that there was two games, well, one one, in, one game in Sheffield, one in Rotherham this weekend. And there's like engineering works on the, on the trains. <laughs> and I think I'm not going to need it. doesn't sound like England, does it? Well, like the last train is like a replacement bus and there's no way oh. I'm getting that. So I have to get, I have to get the penultimate train. Uh, but yeah, I think I'm all right. I seem to be the last person here, but I think I'm all right. OK, well, we'll let you get off because no one wants to have to take a bus from Rotherham <laughs> to Brighton. And you can't miss, you can't end this remarkable game streak every day. Keep enjoying your tour of the country. Charlotte, what's your pre-match preparation looking for, like for tomorrow's big game? And I don't mean the England game, I mean your game. <laughs> <laughs> it's looking like a long train journey um, where I'll be doing some prep. But apart from that, you know, a couple of high knees, a little bit of stretching, <laughs> great team Charlotte, talk. Charlotte, what, what, what time's the game? What time's kickoff of your game? It's one o'clock. Are you in, Michael? No, absolutely. No, I'll, I'll oh. still be on the train. But I just, I mean, one o'clock in that heat, <laughs> you're going to yeah. be knackered. Ooh. I mean... Uh, it's, it's questions have been raised about, you know, the um, organisation of this game. Well, best of luck to both of you. Charlotte in surviving that game and making it through to the England game in the evening. Michael on getting there as well. I'm slightly worried that we're going to have neither of you at that game. I'll be following <laughs> on social media to check you both get there safely. Also, my thanks go to Biani and Lindsay for dropping by. But most of all, thanks to you at home for listening. Don't forget, you can follow or subscribe to our channel and make sure you keep telling your friends and family about us too. But for now, we're all off to find a nice bath. Goodbye. Goodbye.